Today on Peace Talks Radio, we talk with two former prison inmates who both served extended sentences for second-degree murder. But while in prison, they both participated in a program called the Alternatives to Violence Project that seemed to change both them and their prisons for the better. I could not believe that people actually cared about people in prison, and it had a great impact on me. AVP has now spread to about half of the prisons in California. It's affecting a lot of individuals, and I think it's making a a fairly big difference. We fear in society the people who go to prison because of the violence that we believe they have done. And by introducing alternatives and giving people experiential skills in alternatives to violence and other ways of handling a situation, we then prepare them to come into society. Today on Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. Whether it's the search for inner peace or learning how to resolve conflicts we have with others in our families, workplaces, communities, or between nations, we consider it here on Peace Talks Radio. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls. Today, an alternative to violence program that's been reaching into prisons for decades continues to make a difference today, certainly in the lives of two former inmates who are our guests. First, Carl Irons, then James Patrick Alexander, known as Alex. They tell their stories of how they landed in prison. To our interviewer, Carol Boss. I don't believe anybody wakes up one morning and wants to do something horrific. Uh, But as a result of small decisions and lifestyle that I was living, I made poorer and poorer decisions until eventually I got into an argument with somebody that I'd caught stealing from me. Uh, His name was John, John Nicholson. We got into an argument, and he'd also stolen some things from some friends of mine, and I wound up killing him over it. Uh, I still don't like him. You know, I will never, you know, we we weren't close friends. We knew each other. It will never change that I come to like him, but the fact is he didn't deserve to die for that. Uh, So as a result, you were convicted of second-degree murder. Yes, I was. The... uh, the San Mateo County Sheriff's Department did the investigation. Uh, once they identified the body, they ba- basically went back to the last his last known address and uh, questioned everybody that they could find who knew him. And eventually the circle widened until they found me. They actually arrested or started to arrest the wrong person. And I, I couldn't, uh, in good conscience, I couldn't let somebody else go to prison for it. So I, uh, I confessed at that point. And you were sentenced for how long, Carl? I was sentenced to uh, 15 to life. And you were released? I was released uh, June 24th of 2009. I was actually in prison, not counting the county jail time, for 24 years, one month, and 16 days. Not that I was counting. <laughs> well, thank you. Alex, what about you? Uh, yes, Carl. Uh, my situation was also tragic. I was a United States Marine Corps non-commissioned officer in 1983. And in March of 1983, I went with a group of Marines to the residence of a local drug dealer. And I was the youngest Marine, 
I walked into the apartment, and as soon as I entered the residence, uh, a guy got up, and when he when he st- stood up, uh, I actually shot him. I was not intending to hurt anyone that day. Why did you shoot, and what did you think was happening? What I actually thought was happening was I... Uh, I didn't really have a clear understanding of, you know, how uh, drug dealers operated and all that. So I was just on edge. You know, I was just so, so heightened. And, uh, you know, it was just in the moment. And I thought that there were guns. I actually thought that uh, I was about to be fired upon. He died as a result of my actions. And uh, for that, I'll, uh, I'll always regret my actions of that day. So you, too, were found guilty of second-degree murder. Yes, I was. And sentenced for how long, Alex? Uh, Fifteen years to life in prison. And you actually served, I know, quite a few more years than that. Twenty-eight years. And you've been newly, you're, you're actually newly released just a couple of months ago, is that right? Yes, two months ago, as a matter of fact, Curl, I'm sitting here two months mm-hmm. out of prison. While in prison, both Irons and Alexander participated in a long-running program called the Alternatives to Violence Project, or AVP, that intended to both reduce the level of violence in prison and to prepare inmates for a life on the outside that wouldn't see them drawn back to the violence that put them in prison in the first place. Pat Hardy is the president of the Alternatives to Violence Project in California, where both Irons and Alexander were incarcerated. Pat, talk to us about the principles and the goals of AVP. Well, it's probably best understood by looking at our history. Um, We started in Greenhaven Prison about 35 years ago as a result of a group of men asking a group of Quakers if they couldn't. Attica had just happened, and they had been moved to Greenhaven as a result of those riots. And they said, you know, we understand violence, but we don't understand the alternative to violence. And it was at their request. Now, we fear in society the people who go to prison because of the violence that we believe they have done. And by introducing alternatives and giving people experiential skills, skills and experiences in alternatives to violence and other ways of handling a situation, we then prepare them to come into society. One cannot function on any kind of job or with any kind of family if it's always done from a position of, of I'm right, you're wrong, and I'll, or I'll bunk you across the head. Life doesn't, we can't function in a society like that. We're, we're preparing people to return to society and become a significant contributing part of society. And it takes practice. It doesn't just happen. Right. It takes practice and learning to change how we approach a situation. And this is not only in prison. We offer this workshop also in the community because there's a circle between the community and the prisons work. In the prison work, people come out into the community. We involve them in the workshops. People from the community go into the prison. So there begins to be an education of the two worlds. So, 
when folks gather for the for the very first workshop, which lasts for uh, two three days, what happens in that first workshop? Well, in the first workshop, we set basic ground rules of how we'll how we'll relate to one another, which include things like no put downs, shy people speak up, talkative people don't don't hog the the floor, those kinds of of ground rules, and then we set then we introduce what is the core called Transforming Power Guides, Guides to Transforming Power, which have, as it turns out, 12 Guides to Transforming Power, but they're not steps like you would think of with the NA. And these then become the guidelines that are then carried on throughout all the rest of the workshops. But some things that they start off that are a surprise to them is everything is completely experiential. It's all interactive, and they have a chance to interact with one another and interact with all of us interacting. How do you begin exploring in that first level, that first workshop, ideas about violence and nonviolence? Well, it's not like everybody doesn't know what those are. So we put two pieces of paper up on the wall, one that says violence and one that says nonviolence, and they start off brainstorming what is violence. And everyone comes up with things. And it, it can be everything from guns to rudeness. This workshop is uh, an alternatives to violence workshop. A clip from a documentary film about the Alternatives to Violence Project. So what we have to find out is uh, what is violence. My definition of violence is aggression. When you're abusing people, right, it causes people to be violent, you know. Lust. If violence is not physical, how is it not? If I take a child and I tell a child constantly that you're a bum, you're always going to be a bum just like your mother was a bum or just like this and that, I'm demeaning that child's spirit as a human being. That's an act of violence. I didn't touch that child with my hand. And then we have nonviolence, and that can be everything from prayer to a handshake. And we then just leave that as a part of the workshop throughout the workshop. And we don't, there's no lecture. It's not like everybody doesn't know what this is about. We just name it and put it up on the wall. And then from then on, we move on to uh, communication exercises, everything from eye messages to listening to role play exercises to try on the exercise, the things we've learned. What are eye messages? In our society, we have you messages. You are a terrible student. We have iMessages that say, when you don't study, I'm very concerned about your ability, to, your ability to succeed in this class. What I'd like from you is that you would take your book home and study when you, are, when you leave the class. That's the difference. iMessages mm-hmm. calls out the best in person and owns what I'm feeling as, an, as a person. And the you messages are often the messages we've gotten from society about our badness. Carl Irons, what did you think when you attended your first meeting and group? What do you remember there that that struck you? The fact that the people cared enough to make the effort, you know, you know the people being treated like a human being because in prison often we're not. Um, and like I say, there are other programs that, that bring in people from the outside, uh, from the community. They don't just talk about you know treating people decently and and all of that or their faith or or what they're doing they live it and AVP is one of those situations the fact that AVP is an experiential workshop uh, rather than just like lectures or something uh, made it a lot more valuable for me it gave me the opportunity to really explore 
how it applied to me. And one of the values of AVP was the fact that we explored what constituted violence. Uh, some of the obvious things, you know, like you know, fighting and you know, physical violence are are there, and everybody recognizes it. But it uh, it opened some discussion about uh, is drug use violence? Well, yeah, it, uh, we harm ourselves, and generally, people using drugs and alcohol uh, harm the people around them, their families and friends and stuff. So. For me, it expanded that view of what constituted violence into a larger larger theater. Well, Carl, what did you consider one of the more valuable skills that you picked up? I think one of the most valuable skills for me was the use of iMessages. Um, I'm fairly good size. I mean, I'm not uh, the biggest guy in the world by any means, but I've, when I was younger, I used my size to my advantage. If I had a disagreement with someone, I had a tendency to start the discussion with poking my finger in their chest and look you SOB and oddly enough that very seldom resulted in a satisfactory result I mean uh, through AVP I, I learned I can't say I learned but it made me aware that if I start the conversation in with looking for a, a solution rather than a victory that I was more likely to find a solution were you able to then practice the skills that you learned and developed in the workshops? Were you able to actually use them in the in the prison in the prison itself? Yeah, and um, that, like most things that we we learn, it takes practice. Uh, I didn't start. I didn't leave the first workshop uh, all cured and all better, but I I'd learned some some techniques, and it it made me aware of the need. To approach things differently. What did you think for the first time, Alex, when you went to to a workshop or, or one of those groups? Did you think, hey, that's for me, I want to be a part of this? I could not believe that people actually cared about people in prison. You know, when you find someone to treat you like a human being uh, not like you are just uh, someone to be thrown away. It uh, has an impact on you, Carol. Uh, and it had a great impact on me. What would you say was one of the more valuable skills that you learned and were able to use? I would actually say assertive communication. Can you explain that? Well, being able to, to stand or sit across from an individual... Uh, look them in the eye and understand that that uh, they are not your superior as far as being better than you. Uh, just because they may have, you know, more uh, money in their bank account, they may have a better suit and tie, they may uh, know how to shoot a basketball like Michael Jordan or say a speech like President Obama. It doesn't mean that they are a better human being than you are. So if you start with the, uh, from the place that you are equal with the person you're talking to and you are valued just as they are valued, you are loved just as they are loved by their family and friends, if you enter into a conversation from that perspective, it's difficult to be angry to be violent, not to hear that other person. 
What was some of the things that you saw and heard at the very beginning that most struck you? I, I, you besides, along with the fact that you couldn't believe people could care so much about people in prison. Uh, for me, it was the exercises where you learn about the different triggers or things that, you know, get people angry. I've been out, out of prison for two months and... I see anger as as I'm driving on a highway. I, I drive kind of slowly now because uh, I really respect and value human life. But people who drive behind me are going so fast and so quick that they get so angry. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. The other part that's exciting to them it, that's fun and silly is the games. We have what we call light and livelies that break up the seriousness of the workshop and that break up the the tension in a room. (laughs) And also they're a kind of community builder. When you've done a silly game being an elephant or a palm tree or whatever in the particular game, you feel differently about the people because you've all been silly. I'd like you to just talk a little bit about the names that you give yourselves when you're in um, AVP. And Carl, can you tell us about your name and, and what that means? We give ourselves adjective names in AVP. And the idea is that it'll be an adjective, uh, a positive ad, uh, adjective. Uh, my name for years from the very beginning has been Casual Carl. I chose that name because for me it's a reminder that I wound up in prison because I took life much too seriously. It was, it's a reminder to me to be more relaxed, that uh, the BS of life is not that important. So that those names serve as affirmations in a sense. Right. Um, we, we do it as something that's an alliteration of the name just to make it easy to remember. It helps uh, each of us when we're in a new workshop together, a bunch of people we haven't known, haven't met before and don't know. It helps us remember those names um, and who's who. But it's a a positive affirmation of some aspect of either who we are or who we want to be. What about you, Alex? (laughs) Well, Carol, hold on to your seat. I'm holding. (laughs) I chose the name Attractive Alex. And the reason I chose Attractive Alex was because... Well, he is attractive. Well, no, no, no. Uh, (laughs) Most things that... I had done in my life uh, before AVP was pretty ugly, to say the least. And uh, I wanted to constantly remind myself that I would attract that which is positive and good and really uplifts the human spirit. And the things that are not so good, I would not like to attract. So Attractive Alex was just a way to remind myself of uh, that. Uh, however, can you imagine me sitting in a room with about 25 guys whose arms is the size of Carl's head? And, you know, here they sitting there looking at me and says, do you think we're going to call this guy attractive? So you, you have to have a certain amount of courage, Curl, to actually say attractive Alex 
And so some of these guys would actually say at the beginning of the workshop, uh, there's no way I'm going to call this guy attractive. And by the third day, they were saying, attractive Alex, I'm so glad that you were at this workshop. It's amazing, Curl. James Alexander, who served 28 years in prison for a second-degree murder conviction. We've also been hearing from Carl Irons, who served 24 years for a similar conviction, and Pat Hardy, president of California's Alternatives to Violence Project, which reached Irons and Alexander in prison, helped them learn principles of nonviolence, which they say they are embracing now since their respective releases. We'll hear more about our guests' lives on the outside now, more about the AVP program and its effect on reducing violence in prison and out after a break. You're listening to Peace Talks Radio. More in a minute. This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. Online with all the episodes in our series at peacetalksradio.com. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls, and we're talking about a program called Alternatives to Violence, which started in New York's Greenhaven Prison in 1975 as a single prison workshop addressing youth gang violence. And it's spread to other prisons over time and has now grown to include the offering of nonviolent workshops in communities and in schools. The connection with the prison populations, though, remains a main feature of the program, as AVP goes into prison with community volunteers. Prisoners become program facilitators while still serving their sentences. When they get out, some stay engaged with the program in different ways. Today, our Carol boss is talking with two former inmates who both served extended sentences for second-degree murder convictions, Carl Irons and James Alexander, who both experienced the Alternatives to Violence program while in prison. We're also hearing from the president of AVP's California chapter, Pat Hardy. I would think that for a lot of incarcerated individuals, there's there's a, a huge sense of relief, probably some who have never thought they're capable of anything other than violence in their lives. Well, in many cases, I don't think the reality that nonviolence was an option had occurred to them. So we're not even talking about not being available to them. It just it didn't seem the right, the right way. You weren't a man. You weren't strong. You didn't control your world. So that this seemed like weakness. And when they discover it isn't, it's amazing. One of the things I talk about AVP is that this is a chance to take off the mask that they have to wear in order to survive in prison. And it might be the first safe space that they've had in their lives. Yes. It has to be empowering for incarcerated people to suddenly realize that they have that power to break the cycle of violence 
And I'm wondering if you've actually witnessed a moment of that in the workshop. Well, sometimes it just feels like you can see light bulbs go off in the room during given exercises. And sometimes it's exchanging a piece of information that you've never exchanged before. We have one exercise that we do called a gathering, where every time we come back, we ask a question. And one of the questions we ask is, the first time I experienced violence. In most cases, it's under six or seven years old. And they begin to realize that I'm not the only one who saw my father beat my mother. I'm not the only one who saw someone killed in front of me. I'm not the only one who got beaten myself. And the light bulbs in that exercise just like go click, click, click. You can almost hear them like flash bulbs. And they begin to know that I'm not alone because prison is isolating. Prison makes it so that there is no community because that's dangerous. So we're looking about looking about serious recognition of how much alike we are. And that's what empathy is about. And that I can care for you and share what's happening with me and vice versa. Without that, we're not, we're not truly human. Well, I wanted to ask both of you to just um, briefly uh, tell me something about your childhood. Was, was, did you have childhoods where conflict and violence was, was a constant? Carl, what about you? Uh, no, um, I don't have that as any part of an excuse. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing about my childhood I can look back and, and blame any of this on. And what about you, Alex? Well, yes, I I actually grew up in Chicago, and it was, uh, to put it mildly, we were not financially well off. Uh, but I should preface by saying that I do not believe past conditions predetermine my present. So, uh, but to go to the point of your question, I experienced violence uh, rather traumatically when I was 16 years old. I had been doing pretty well in school, uh, went to a party one night, and at the party, there was drinking going on. Uh, I left the party at about 11. Uh, The party was on the other side of town in the northern side of Chicago. I had to get back to the south side. And so I took the long journey back to the south side with the elevated train, by the elevated train. And when I uh, departed from the train, I was accosted by three individuals. Uh, subsequently, I was stabbed. Uh, they took my belongings and actually tossed me over the side of the platform. So I fell 16 feet to the ground. And, uh, Collarbone was broke. Uh, I wasn't found until the next morning at about 5 o'clock. When I was found, I was pronounced dead on arrival at the county hospital. Had it not been for a nurse who, I wish I hadn't known her name now, uh, I believe Miss Williams, Uh, she alerted the staff that she thought I was alive, and sure enough, I was alive. Surgery was done, but I had no feelings from the neck down. Three months, rehabilitation. Uh, They thought I would never walk again, but I did walk. Mm -hmm. 
your incarcerations for both of you were, were your first experience. And I'm wondering when each of you entered prison, did you witness and experience violence in prison? Carl? My first year in prison, just kind of out of curiosity, I kept track. We were locked down. I was locked down either one day more or one day less than six months. I don't remember which one it was, but it was almost exactly six months. And because I was listed as white on the uh, on the prison uh, records, I was locked down a lot less than the, the African Americans or the Hispanics were. Uh, it was there were constant uh, stabbings or fights, or uh, most of them were minor. I mean, they weren't life threatening things. You know, people weren't killed routinely, but there was constant violence. James Alexander, when you entered prison for the first time in your life, and you were there for so many years. Did you have experiences yourself or at least witness violence and and conflict? Oh, yes, a great deal. My first encounter with personal violence uh, was actually out on the big recreational yard of uh, Soledad Prison uh, in California. Uh, One of the inmates actually uh, attacked uh, myself and another inmate, and I was kicked in the face and bloody and all that. And then it came uh, the response uh, in prison when violence is done, at least nearly 30 years ago, uh, it was almost a given that there would be retaliation, especially if the violence was meted out by a person of a different race. So I, in fact, uh, participated once again in a violent incident. Reducing violence is, is one of the goals of um, AVP, and I. And did AVP really seem to impact the level of violence in prison? Yeah, I. Uh, I've noticed a reduction of violence in the years that I've been in prison. Uh, in the beginning, it was so much violence. Uh, I found alternatives to violence project in 1995. Uh, the amount of violence prior to that would, you know, would just scare the living daylights out of any clear-thinking human being. Uh, But something happened in the prison where I was at, San Quentin. Uh, When you have different races of individuals in the same workshops, and these individuals hug each other, talk to each other, communicate on the most real level that two human beings can communicate on, there is something that develops. And when they leave out of that workshop and go back into the prison environment, it has to manifest even in that larger environment because I can't look at Carl any longer as being different from me. I have to look at Carl now as being a human being who has the same desires and needs and wants as I do, who feels the same emotions as I do. And so it has that type of uh, an effect, like a wave. It goes out. Uh, So I think that the workshop uh, is beneficial and it has had long-term impact because of that. Because that seed has not stopped growing and that wave has not uh, resided, it keeps going out. 
can you give us an example, uh, Pat Hardy, of of how that plays out some more in a in a workshop setting? In prison, we have groups of uh, groups that are very often divided up into racial groups or cultural groups, and heads of those groups are called shot callers, the ones who call the shots for that particular group, and. Um, this, we very often have shot callers in, a, in an initial workshop or in, in a, any workshop. And when you have the, color, the shot callers come together, you begin to see a softening within the group, within, within the, the prison itself. But let me give you an example. Um, one of the people in a workshop, an African-American man named Bull, who someone later described as the most violent man he'd ever known, and a Mexican-American shot caller, I'll call T., were um, in the same yard, in the same workshop. They were there, and they, uh, they sat down, began these, these exercises, the affirmation exercises, and as the workshop progressed, they became friends. And once on the yard, they actually hugged one another. This kind of hugging is not allowed in the social milieu of a prison yard. And um, they were called upon this by the, the men in their, in their groups, and when called on it, they said, well, this is, this is a friend of mine now, and this is the way we're going to act now, and this is how we are. What does reduced violence look like to someone who's in prison, either to the incarcerated or to the prison personnel? It means that you stop from continuing a violent situation. Someone comes at you and says something, a you message, you, you, you idiot, why did you do that? And that, that immediately requires a response by someone in prison. And not meeting that requirement is the reduction in violence. I say to myself, okay, I know I'm not an idiot. And if I react to this, this person, I'm going to get in trouble. And so I'm going to either walk away or I'm going to smile or I'm just going to not pay any attention. Those who come to, because it's all voluntary. It's all voluntary. Do many of them have that intention already to try and live a nonviolent life? Or there's uh, a curiosity on their part as to what these workshops are about? What brings them initially well, I think there are multiple motives. Some people come because they want to make change. Some of the people come because they are looking to get something in their file so that when they go to the board of prison hearings, they can they can show that they have attended this work this anger management workshop. And in some cases they come to check it out because they are the shot caller and they want to know what their people are attending. They want to know what's happening. And very often we get people who come merely because they need the piece of paper or they're just checking it out. But we've had people, we, it's not uncommon to hear a man say, or a woman say, I came for the parole board. I stayed the rest of the weekend for me. Pat, I'm wondering if there are, are any studies that demonstrate the effectiveness of the program, or is most of it anecdotal? And I'm talking about both in prison and once those who have participated in the workshops in prison, once they're on the outside Yes, we have um, we have a couple of studies 
when we're working on more that show two specific things. One, a reduction in the violence of the individual in a prison and that it, that it is long-lasting and that it does not, it reverts a little bit, but the, um, the level of anger and the level of, uh, that specifically level of anger is reduced because they now have these skills. Recidivism is also reduced. That means the, return, the rate that people return to prison as a result of having committed another crime. And that, that is lowered by 40% in people who've taken these workshops. We need lots more research on it, and we're working on mm-hmm. that. And AVP, it sounds like, from what I've read, is embraced by the wardens, many of them wanting that program in their prisons. Well, yes, I actually spoke on the podium with the director of adult institutions who oversees all the wardens this last weekend at the at the AVP USA, the Alternatives to Violence Project USA National Conference, who was um, sharing how he felt the the impact of AVP has made in the in the prison. How many folks actually participate in AVP in the prison? Approximately. The reason I'm asking is just to try to get a sense if there were enough people involved with AVP to really make a difference in, in what happens throughout the prison population. What about you, Carl? Do you have a sense? My personal involvement with AVP was primarily at San Quentin, but over the years, AVP has now spread to about half of the prisons in California. So I, I have no idea how many people have been through it. But it is, it's affecting a lot of individuals, and I think it's making a, a fairly big difference. Back to kind of your earlier question about how it's changing the violence in prison. Um, I have only limited ability to influence anyone other than myself, but AVP has made it easier for me to to deal with my uh, be, be, whether it's short-temperedness or you know all of those aspects, by looking at what constitutes violence, I've broadened my uh, the scope of what I I look at in my own life. I've, AVP has made it easier for me to deal with that, and to the extent that I have less violence in myself and in my life, I think that spreads out. I, was it Gandhi that said, uh, "Be the change you want to see"? I think by by changing my own life, the way I interact with people, the way I treat people, that influences the people around me. Uh, they leave interactions with me with less tension or resentment or or pressure like that. So, which, so it, just as violence kind of expands in a, an exp- expanding ring, it, it propagates um, lack of violence, peace, it, it can expand and propagate the same way. That's former California prison inmate Carl Irons talking about the Alternatives to Violence program that he participated in during his 24-year term in prison for second-degree murder. We also heard the voice of Pat Hardy, who coordinates the AVP program in California, and James Alexander, or Alex, who also served a 28-year sentence for a second-degree murder charge, but like Carl, is out of prison now, thanks in part to their transformation helped along by the AVP program. More about Carl and Alex's experience on the outside and their hopes for their futures when we come back on Peace Talks Radio in one minute.
This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. You can hear every episode in our series going back to 2003 online, as well as read partial transcripts and link to other content on our show topics, all at peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls, and today we're learning about the Alternatives to Violence Project. As it describes itself on its website, AVP is a nationwide and worldwide association of volunteer groups offering experiential workshops in conflict resolution, responses to violence, and personal growth. We do our training where violence is found, its website says. Our workshops target prisons, communities, and schools. On today's show, we've been looking at its prison workshop program primarily. Carol Boss will continue her conversation now with former inmates Carl Irons and James Alexander, both out of prison now after extended sentences for second-degree murder convictions. But first, here's another clip of an AVP workshop in action from a documentary on the program, Two Inmates in a Role Play of an Argument. Role plays are very important because it gives all of us an opportunity to visualize how a potentially violent situation can be resolved uh, non-violently. Why are you getting that all excited for a tuna fish, though, man? Man. What's up? Check this out. Check this What's out. Up? That don't matter no Yo, way. Man, dig yourself. You borrowed Yo, the tuna. Put your hand down, man. Dig you yourself, over, man. And you you better dig tuna, yourself, man. man. You got to pay you it back. You better dig yourself, man. Freeze. Don't hurt yourself, When you two were like, like this, I want to know how you felt inside right at that moment. When he responded belligerently, all right, I put my glasses down. Now, thing I'm going through in my mind is I'm sizing them up. Which shot am I going to hit them with first? I don't usually let nobody come up at me like this and then, like, find something to do to take off your jacket to do harm to me. But I'm not I'm not on that. You know, if you're going to cause me harm, you might as well harm me first. What this does for a lot of people, even though it's a brief uh, weekend experience, it's a very intense experience, and I think it sort of redefines some of the things that they have developed redefines the ways that they have felt comfortable in dealing with this thing and showing that there are other ways. It was an Aesop thing where this elephant was walking down a road and this ant was laying on his back with his feet up in the air kicking. And the elephant says, what are you doing with it on the ground like that ant? And the ant said, uh, someone told me this morning the sky was going to fall, so I turned my back so I can hold it up. And the elephant scoffed at the ant, saying, you can't hold the sky up with your little legs. And the ant said, one does, but one can. So now I looked at that and says, well, I don't think about the totality of the picture, of all the violence, all the corruption, all the anger, all the fighting, all the pains that go on. I think of what I can do as a human being, as an individual, to make some change within myself. And hopefully that the change I make in myself somehow brums out to my child, to my wife, to my friends, to my acquaintances, and it becomes an effect where everyone starts moving out. But it has to start with me first. The word keeps popping into my mind when I'm looking at these things and... and, and uh that is, that's choice. We attribute a lot of our limitations to the environment when we are the ones who put a lot of these limitations. I like to, you know, quote something Gandhi put, uh, he had said, he said, don't participate in the evil that your, that your adversary you know, would want you to participate in. That's the real power that we all have, the ability to reason. Other than preparing inmates for the outside, why is it important for a program like AVP to strive to reduce violence inside prison. Why should society care about that, Alex? Wow, thank you, Carol, and I think that's a very important question. And it strikes to the heart of why we 
participate in this work. And that is because, especially in California, you, you're going to have a lot of inmates that's going to be transitioning back into society uh, because of financial restraints and uh, changes in leadership and direction. Uh, a lot of inmates are about to be coming into our communities. So alternatives to violence, even though it planted a seed, you know, we need to continue to nurture the gifts that a lot of these men ha- have received while in prison as far as treating other people respectfully, valuing other people's property. So uh, organizations like, like Alternative to Violence can play a huge role as men transition into the community by Community workshops, uh, your ordinary uh, Joe who goes to work, you know, take three days out of his life and take an Alternatives to Violence Project workshop so they will have a better understanding of how to actually treat their fellow human beings, which are some of these formerly incarcerated individuals that's going to be coming back to society. Formerly incarcerated individuals have been isolated from society for a great many years. This is the opportunity to welcome people back. You know, let us forgive. Let us not forget. Let us give them the second opportunity. Or I don't know how to say it, but can we embrace peace by treating everybody like human beings, giving them that opportunity? Well, let me ask you, Alex, what do you think people who return to society from prison have to offer in a positive way that wouldn't occur to most people? I think the understanding of how precious human life is, how valuable each encounter with friends, family, associates, how we shouldn't take anything for granted, how it all means so much. It's it's almost like You live in a community, uh, but you're isolated. You don't involve yourselves in social interests. I mean, self-interest is great, but when self-interest meets social interest, then the change in the community truly happens. Alex, when those people show fear, do you try anything to put them at ease, or do you just move on? Well, I guess Carl can attest to the fact that I smile so much. What do you think about that, Carl? Oh, yeah. You know, the first thing anyone notices about Alex, he always has a smile on his face. So I don't know if uh, my my own natural demeanor is enough to put people at ease, but I make a point of whatever I say or do, I make a point of, You know, I love the human spirit that resides within you. Of course, your actions, you know, you blowing the horn loud at me because I'm driving too slow. (laughs) Or I'm getting flipped off because, you know, I'm trying to find directions. You know, those are your actions. It does not take away from the valuable human being that you are. If I can add something. I was thinking about the question you asked as, as Alex was talking. And I don't think the two, the uh, the preparing people to transition back into the community 
and why we should treat them, why we should try to reduce violence in prison. I don't think those two subjects are easily separable. They're, they're very closely intertwined. And one of the obvious benefits is that when people come out of prison, they're better able to make that transition. But the reason we should treat them, we should try to reduce violence in prison and offer things like AVP to them in prison is because the more we fall into the trap of dividing us from them, the more insidious that becomes. If we fall into the trap of thinking because they're in prison, they don't deserve the same treatment. They're not human beings in some respect. The easier it is to start thinking, well, the person down the street from me is a different race, so he's somehow not quite my equal, or the person who lives across town because it's a different part of town, or the different socioeconomic status, and all of those things. The more we can, the more we allow ourselves to divide us from them, the more that creeps into society as a whole. Mm, good point, Carl. And separation, that's one of the things that I always speak about is how separation keeps people in that negative sense, you know, that angry sense. Okay, I can blame, you know, my troubles on this or that. You know, I don't have to, you know, accept responsibility or take responsibility for, you know, everything that's going on in my life. So, you know, we all we all should come together and understand that, you know, life is not as it used to be. You know, the world is much smaller. You know, there's no islands. We have to take care of each other. Uh, you know, there may be a misnomer as far as, you know, guys who talk about alternatives to violence and just generally promote peace. Peace requires a, a certain amount of courage. You don't find, I don't think, at least in my experience, you don't find too many people who are committed to peace uh, and and not be courageous individuals. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of moxie to be committed to peace. And it is my view that, you know, if you love peace, you would definitely be passionate about Alternatives to Violence Project. I agree. Since leaving prison, do you find that you have to tell the story of your crimes, and is it hard to tell it, and, and what kind of reaction do you get, Carl? Um, well, the short answer to that is yes, no, and maybe. I, <laughs> I believe my experience is valuable. Uh, not everyone is prepared to hear it. It depends on the circumstances. If I'm, for example, if I'm facilitating, helping to facilitate a community workshop, my experience, the time I've spent in prison, is one of the draws for people from the community to attend that workshop um, because people are curious about it. So it's a valuable experience for me to share. There's a trap there that if I'm not careful, I can make the workshop all about me and that experience rather than using that as something for the for the benefit of the community and for the benefit of the workshop. Most of the people that I'm around know about my background. I don't make any particular effort to hide it. Uh, to try to keep it concealed would cause my sense of integrity to suffer. I treat it if, – if the subject comes up, if it's appropriate, I will – I'm very open about it. But I don't try to push it on people um, because not every situation and not every person is ready. Yeah. What does being honest in that openness – to others, teach us about making peace in our daily lives? 
I don't have a good answer to that. Um, I know if I'm going to have real friends and people who are close to me, they have to know who I really am, and, and my experience is part of that. So in that sense, I have to be open with them. Otherwise, it's a very superficial relationships. Um, and that that openness brings a, an internal peace for me because I don't have a facade to maintain. Alex, what do you have to add in terms of the, the question I had just put to Carl about telling your story once you left prison? Well, I... <laughs> It's amazing that you say that, Carol, that you ask that question, because I've been doing just that. I've been going around speaking. In two months, I've spoken to just so many people. Uh, Recently, I spoke to a classroom, and uh, young individuals, 12 years old, 14 years old, and I always impart that, you know, what I did did not just affect my life. My actions affected so many people, uh, people that care about me, that cared about the person who I harmed. I, I have to be genuine and honest in my discussions because uh, people need to be able to see what transpired in order so they can say, well, listen, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to let uh, a moment of uh, uh, terrible choices impact so many people's lives. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I get, uh, get to do. But, Carol, I, we should not forget that there are so many individuals who are parole ready that are still incarcerated that didn't have a community of friends that I have that were not able to successfully get their release from prison that are still struggling and fighting that have changed their lives and are ready to be released from prison. And the struggle continues. Generally speaking, uh, if people meet me and I'm reasonably sociable and, and presentable and all of that, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not probably most people's idea of the typical prison inmate. If people get to know me and then get to know my story, I think it shows them that just because a person has done something horrific in their life doesn't mean necessarily that they're horrible people. What I did was horrific. It was an awful thing to do, um, and I can never change it. But I can try to be a be- decent person, and there, I believe interaction with me and my openness about my past helps people understand that not everybody who's done something terrible is necessarily a terrible person. What are the goals for each of you? What are you wanting to do with your life besides your active participation in AVP? Carl? I'm basically uh, uneducated or self-educated, so I've returned to school. Uh, If if I keep at it long enough, I'll get a degree and I won't be the only uneducated person I know. I'm uh, hoping to develop meaningful relationships, including someday a meaningful romantic relationship, and settle down and live a fairly normal life, what's left of it. I'm 60 now, and I'm not going to live forever. I can't change anything I've done in the past, but I hope to make the world a little better 
in the ways that I can. Thank you, Carl. What about you, Alex? Well, thank you for your question, Carl. And I must say that I uh, I owe a tremendous a tremendous amount. So uh, you know, I want to continue in the work. I want to continue to promote peace. I want to continue to tell my story. I want to continue to let people know that we are all human beings. What we have done, the actions we have committed may have been terrible, but life is still present and we are still availing ourselves of the interactions with others. So let us not cease to be a, to be a community. So I want to I want to actually go around and speak about this and speak about the individuals who are still in prison who need to uh, transition from prison back into our communities. So I think that's my calling and that's the way I'm going to try to give back. And I'm going to continue this work until uh, I have no breath in me because I uh, I am passionate about peace. I love peace. Attractive Alex, or James Patrick Alexander, who served 28 years in California prisons on a second-degree murder charge. We also heard from Carl Irons, who served 24 years on a similar conviction. Pat Hardy was our other guest, president of the Alternatives to Violence Project in California. You can find links to more information about AVP's work all across the country and now around the world, in and out of prisons, and also hear our complete interviews with all of our guests on this program at our website, peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can also hear all the programs in our series going back to 2003, order CDs of most episodes, sign up for a podcast or our free monthly newsletter. And it's also where you can make a tax-deductible contribution to our nonprofit media organization that produces this program independently from your local public radio station. Please consider a donation. For more frequent updates and inspiration, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Additional support comes from the Oppenheimer Brothers Foundation, the FNS Fund of the Santa Fe Community Foundation, and KUNM at the University of New Mexico. Ali Adelman composed and performs our theme music. For Carol Boss, I'm Paul Ingalls. Thank you for listening to and for supporting Peace Talks Radio. Mm-hmm.